First off, thank you, elders, thank you, church, for having me. Uh, as you can tell, I'm a little bit shorter than Paul to begin with, so we have a new pulpit. So I can actually see you guys in the front, front, for, uh, front rows here. Uh, Paul said, hey, you might want to test that out. It's been built up from my height, so I tested out, and I was like, I can't see anyone here. So we got this here. Um, my family and I are just a blessed to be here. Uh, my wife, uh, almost 24 years, Carrie, on the screen there, and our four the children, starting with Tyler, the oldest, who no longer lives in our home, but then our, our two daughters, Haley, Caitlin, and Caleb, are here, to, the three of them are here today. Uh, the three older ones are, are all out of high school, and uh, the last one just graduated this June, or May, I guess it was, from Valley Christian, and Caleb's going into seventh grade. So that's just a little bit about us. Um, Carrie's actually a second grade teacher at Valley and uh, plans on uh, continuing to teach there on her sixth year going this fall. So that's uh, just a little bit of an introduction of who we are and where we've been. We've been in Montana and Missoula for nine years now, since 2013. And uh, before that, we were in Salmon, Idaho. Um, now, just before that, we were in Bible College, then we were in Salmon, Idaho. So we knew, we, knew, we knew Missoula a little bit anyway because it was, you know, this year's Walmart. Um, so we had to come here to Walmart and Costco all the time. So we had a little uh, figuring out what Missoula was about already before we even moved here. It was a September morning. I was sitting in my normal spot at the kitchen table in San Manado. I was working for the Forest Service at the time. I had worked for the Forest Service for 20 fire seasons or years, if you want to call them that. And as I was sitting there in my normal spot, I do my normal quiet time, opening up scripture, reading and praying and journaling like I normally would do. God said, hey, it's time. Time for what? Well, a few years before that, when we lived in Twin Falls, God had told me about that, hey, at some point you're going to do this ministry as a full-time vocation. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever that may be, I'm open to whatever you want us to do, whatever, whatever you have for us and our family, I'm open. So that September morning, as I was sitting there praying and, and going, okay, God, what does that look like? I don't know. And so I prayed for it about a few, few more days before I even mentioned it to Carrie, saying, hey, Lord, what does that look like? And I, go, I told her, I said, I don't know what it looks like, but God's calling us to leave the Forest Service, to leave. We had just built uh, uh, you know, kind of like your dream mountain house in Salmon. And we had just finished that one. I lived in for about eight to ten months. And uh, God was calling us out. And sure enough, he was going to one of the places I really didn't enjoy, back to school. And so he called me back to school. And so we went to seminary for four years. And to fast forward to Missoula to here we are now. So that was our initial calling into ministry. And I, I say that because... That's what I want to focus on today is Jesus' calling of his first disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 is what we're going to dive into and really focus in on verse 19. So before we go there, let me just pray for us some more time. Father God, Lord, again, I just thank you for the opportunity. I just pray uh, for your spirit to be in control of my tongue, for your spirit to be in control of each of my hearts this morning, Lord. You would, you would show yourself, yourself today, today through your, your word to each, each of us. I pray, I pray this, Lord, Lord, for this church, for this valley, for this community, community that, that it would be changed for the good of the kingdom of God. And Lord, I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. This is in my, and I'm reading from the NASB. 
My heading there says the first disciples. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James and the son of Zebedee, the John, and John his brother, in the boat, with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So here we have Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee, seeing guys out in, out in the sea fishing. as their, That was their vocation. That was their job. They were fishermen, the scripture tells us. That's what they were doing. And Jesus walks along and sees that, and, and he calls them out of that. Not only just not only just Peter and his brother, but also John and James. He calls these four men as their first disciples. And when I think of that word disciple or discipleship, I have a lot of questions initially when I first started digging into what a disciple was, what a, what a discipleship looks like, and how does that, what is that, what is that, how do you tease that out in real life? I didn't have someone in my life that would like walk by me from, 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 my first time accepting Jesus to, to where I am now. I didn't have like someone that had discipled me in and out all along, you know, for years and years. I didn't have that kind of like that mature Christian that walked with me. So I had a lot of questions like, what is the disciple? What is discipleship? What does it look like? So we're going to dive into what those questions, answer some of those questions today. First off, a disciple is a person. A disciple is a person and discipleship it's a process of making that person, of making a disciple. So just get those two terms out there. Disciple is a person. Discipleship is a process of making disciples. So the dictionary defines disciple as this, an apprentice, a student attached to a teacher or a movement, one who accepts or assists in spreading doctrines of another, one of the 12, even the dictionary rec recognizes that this, what a disciple is. He says, one of the 12 in the inner circle of Christ's followers according to the gospel accounts. So a disciple is a person chasing after something, following a movement. And in our context, a disciple is a disciple of Jesus. That's what we're going to stick at today. So, so you can imagine, when we look back at this story, how would it relate to us in Montana today? Imagine those guys, imagine if those guys are fishing and going about their business, their daily Job. Imagine someone this morning waking up on a weekend, guiding down the river, the Blackfoot River. They just put in their boat probably, you know, it's, it's 10 o'clock or 10.30. They probably just put their boat on the river, and they're getting floating down. they got their clients in the front of the boat, in the back of the of their raft, and they're rowing down the river, and they're, and they're trying to catch some fish. Imagine some guy coming up, pulling along, along to Highway 200 there, at, or Johns Reed Road, and saying, hey, Guide, you in the boat. Come on over. Come, come, come to this, come, come see me. And he tells them, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Imagine that guide saying, okay. He gets out of his boat, his raft, follows Jesus. Meanwhile, the guy sitting there, or the, or the lady sitting there in the raft, going, hey, what about our rafting trip? These guys, like, like these guys did here, they just left it. They left to follow Jesus. 
There's something about when Jesus says, come, follow me, that we listen. We see that in scripture all the time, and we're we'll get into that. Jesus calls his first disciples in Matthew 4.19. We're going to focus on that verse, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We're going to break it down into three parts. We're going to break it down to follow me, I will make you, and fishers of men. So let's look at that first part, follow me. What's that mean? That means followers of Jesus. That means someone's going to follow Jesus at that point. So when you break that down, it's like what a disciple is, that's going to be the first part. He's a follower of Jesus. So we talk about disciple was a person. Well, that person is a follower of Jesus. And so you got to follow Jesus. So Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says this, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. For these guys, that was the time. They repented. They, they, they followed God at that point. They followed Jesus at that point. Luke, even in Luke, the kind of the parallel passage to what we read here in Matthew reads in chapter 5, and it goes before this, and chap, starts in chap, or verse 1, but it reads all the way through verse 8. You see Peter's response is a little different than how Matthew records it, but he says, when Simon saw, and, and to give you a little background on that, Jesus got in one of the boats, and they had this massive load of fish, if you remember this story, that Jesus gets in the boat, and, and he preaches for a little bit, and then he tells Peter, hey, cast those nets on that side of the boat, and, and Peter says, come on, man, we did that all night. We're tired of casting those, those, those nets on that side. We didn't catch anything. He says, no, do it anyway, but I'll do it anyway, master, because you told me, you told me to. So he casts those nets on that side of the boat. So the, the nets fill up, almost sink the boat. They call another boat over to help them get the fish in. And this is where this verse picks up. That, but when, P, when Simon Peter saw that, saw the amount of fish that were caught, he fell down to Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. At that moment, Peter accepts who Jesus is. He knows that he is God. He, he bows down to him in the boat, even though it might be sinking because of the fish. At that moment, Peter decides he's going to be a follower of Jesus. At that moment, in other places in Scripture, we see people that see what Jesus does, and they, at that instant, become a follower of Jesus. Maybe today's that day for you. The moment where Jesus is speaking to you is telling you, it's time. The time is now to repent and believe in the gospel. And the gospel is simple. Jesus came and he died on the cross for us. He bore himself on the cross. He went into a grave. He rose three days later, came out of that grave. And if we believe in that, what he's done for us, that we repent from those sins and we turn away from those sins, we turn to a new life in him, we will be saved for eternity. Peter and those disciples believed in that. They got up and left and followed him and left much of what they had worked for behind. The second part, I will make you. I will make you. Jesus will make you. That means Jesus will change us. I will be changed by Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit, God will change us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 25 says, For whoever wishes to save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake 
will find it. Change begins instantly. The change for the disciples started instantly. They left their livelihood behind and put their faith in Christ. And all their, all their other things they were going to do in life, they put in the hands of Jesus. The change started like that. They left, even in Luke, it says they left, or with the other guys, the, the, with James and John, they left their father that was sitting, left dad in the boat. See you later, dad. We're following this guy now. Change started immediately. Because Jesus says, I will make you. He will empower us. We can't hold on to the past and think Jesus is going to change us. We can't drag along our old baggage, our old sin, our old everything, and think Jesus is going to still change us. He wants us to give that up. As we see the disciples here gave it up. And did they know exactly what they were getting into at the moment? When they said, okay, we'll follow you. Oh, that's where our faith comes in. That's where their faith comes in. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen. They didn't know how things were going to turn out. They didn't have an end written out script of what was going to happen. But they knew they could put their faith and trust in Jesus at that moment and things would work out. Third point, or third part of this passage. Fishers of men. Fishers of men. Does this literally mean they're going to fish for men? No, not really. It means fishers of men. I put it, I interpret that as like on mission for Jesus. So we're a follower of Jesus. We're changed by Jesus. And now we're on mission for Jesus. On mission for Jesus. That means we have been commissioned. And I look at Matthew 28, 19, and 20 as a reference to this. is what Jesus' final, final kind of words to us. As his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, going and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. I am with you always, he says, even to the end of the age. It's funny, as I prepared this and I was just watching, <laughs> didn't realize Paul had ended with this passage last week. And God had divinely just made these things inter intertwined because I didn't know he was going to, he ended with that. And I didn't know, at that point, I didn't know where I was going to preach. And we just, this is what God wants to hear, have us hear today about Matthew's and Jesus' call on our life that we're commissioned to go make disciples. As he calls these first few disciples, and as we said, a disciple of Jesus is defined by this passage, a follower being changed, and on mission. So my question is, are you a disciple of Jesus? Where are you in those categories? Because I think there's some times where the one, the first one is we either are a follower of Jesus or we're not. The second one, are we being changed? We probably were initially changed by Jesus, but sometimes that change kind of goes up and downs, right? Sometimes we are changing a whole lot. Sometimes we're not changing very much for him. So where are you in that? Are we on mission for Jesus? Are we sharing Jesus? Are we doing what God's called us to do? I think that's a question we probably need to ask ourselves. Where are we fit in there? Where is maybe God nudging us to move forward with? Where is he nudging you to give up something to be changed more? 
So what does discipleship look like? Now that Jesus has called these disciples, he's got some disciples gathered, and we know he's going to gather more. What, is, what does discipleship look like? Well, let's look at Scripture, what Scripture shows us. We know from Matthew 28, verse 19, that this is the commission that he's given to believers to, to go make disciples. So we know that's our task, that's our commission, that's our goal is to make disciples as believers and as a church. Besides this passage giving us the task and goals, where other examples do we see disciple-making in Scripture? Well, of course, Jesus is probably one of the greatest disciple-makers we see in Scripture, where he takes these 12 that he has, and obviously there's others that he discipled, but he really pours into these 12 disciples. And does he do it in like a formal setting? In a classroom? Where they're in chairs? And they got books, and they got manuals. Or did he do his disciple-making through everyday life? And this is where I think as, a, as, as the big church, we get confused. Like, disciple-making has, has to be this formal process. But Jesus doesn't lay that out that way. He's discipling people when they're eating dinner around the table. He's discipling people when they're walking down the road. And he's healing people and he's discipling them and showing them ways. He's discipling as he teaches from a boat. He's discipling them all through all aspects of life. And I think if there's one moment we can take out of how Jesus discipled is, is how he did it in all aspects with all people. So Jesus gives us great examples of how we are to be disciple makings. David's another one that he, he, he just grows in his relationship with God. And chases after God constantly. Even after his fall with Bathsheba, he continues to search out and seek out God to better and make himself more righteous towards God. And then Paul, you guys even start in a series about Titus. That's one of the disciples of Paul. Paul is discipling and pouring into Titus, into Timothy. But what about when Paul goes on his acts and his journeys, his missionary journeys? After he goes on his first missionary journey, even during that first mission journey, missionary journey in Acts chapter 4, Paul goes into a town called Lystra. And in this town, he spreads the gospel, and people aren't very happy with him doing that. And they had devised a plan even, even further on, in, or earlier on in that journey, they wanted to stone him, but he left and fled that other town he was at. And he ends up in Lystra, and he, he gets to this town, and this time they're going to follow through with it. And they stone Paul nearly to death. Matter of fact, many people thought he was dead. They dragged his, his limp body out of the city and threw it outside the city walls, and even his disciples thought Paul was dead. But Paul got back up alive and ready to go and go do whatever the gospel he wanted to do with the gospel. And he went back into that same town that they just stoned him from. Then he goes on to Darby. And then he reverses course. And he goes back through each one of those towns and places. And he disciples those that he had started to disciple and share with initially when he went through the first time. And he does that over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts. Where he's constantly discipling. Matter of fact, most of our New Testament scriptures come from Paul and they're discipling the churches that he planted through letters. 
Paul had this discipling mind. If, if you think discipling is something else that somebody else has done, Scripture tells us we all need to be involved with it, and it gives us great examples of how to make it happen and how to do it. And I think disciple-making happens best in relationships. When we look at these guys and disciple-making in the Bible and Scripture, we see that they were in relationships with people. They had relationships with them. And even going back to the beginning in the book of Genesis, God tells us this. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make you a helper. He wanted us all along to be in relationship with one another. All along, he, he desires us to be in relationship with him first and with our neighbors next. Even when Jesus, even when the disciples asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus tells his disciples, Love God, love your neighbor. And when we look at the Ten Commandments given to us in the book of Exodus, those first four all deal with our relationship with God. The five through ten all deals with our relationship with others. Don't kill. Don't steal from your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. It's all about relationships. See, discipleship happens when we are in a relationship with one another. Relationships with others are the key to discipleship. And when we look at that relational discipleship and what it may cost us, I think we got to look at, hey, what's this going to cost us? What did it cost the disciples in Matthew chapter 4? Their career, their livelihood, their money, their family, their closeness made with their fathers or mothers, it cost them great. What does relational discipleship look like for us? What it might cost us? It may cost us some time with one another, with our family. It may cost us, oh, I'd rather go golf. Well, go golf, but grab somebody with you that doesn't know Jesus to go golfing with. Then you're discipling and you're golfing at the same time. Oh, I, I can't go fishing today. Go grab someone that likes fishing that doesn't know Jesus and go fishing with them. It costs us something, but at the same time, I think there's opportunities that we miss that Jesus wants us to use to disciple people right in our everyday life that we do. We think it's this process. We think it's this hardship but when it comes down to it, if we would just go and grab people that don't know Jesus, or even somebody that does know Jesus, but they're maybe a little bit younger in their walk than you are, and you have something that God would use you for, you can grab them and go help them along in their walk, and they're being changed part of their discipleship. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, talks about a cost that we have. He was saying, and Jesus was, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. There was a cost for us 
to accept Jesus. We, our old life will have to be given away and our new life in Christ was taken. There's a cost when we go to disciple folks as well. And when I look at scripture and I look at this passage, when we look at back, going back over to that passage, verse 19, what's it cost to be a follower of Jesus? We know from scripture tells us we have to give up that old life and accept a new life in him. What's it cost to be made, to, that he will make you, that he will change you? We're going to have to give up some of that old stuff that we are clinging to. Maybe old sin, maybe old hurts from people, maybe old vendettas against somebody. We're going to have to give those up and let Jesus change us. What does it cost for us to be on mission for Jesus? What's it cost us? Maybe physical money. I was speaking to a gentleman this morning about how he'd been on mission trips and, and building and doing things. It cost him physical money to go to those countries and time off of work, maybe. What's it look like to be on mission for us in Montana? Maybe not quite as much money. Maybe just traveling across the state to help somebody out. Maybe, maybe go help out, you know, an idea that comes out just recently. What, maybe helping out, going and helping out with the flood victims uh, around Yellowstone. That's not a very hard one to swallow. What about right here in this town? What's it look like to be on mission for Jesus? I think we all need to be asking those questions. What does it look like for us to be a disciple of Jesus? What's he calling us to change in our lives? And that question, are you and have you received that gift, that call from Christ? Have you received that gift of eternal life? It starts there. If I want to be a disciple and I want to be a disciple maker, am I a follower of Jesus Christ first and foremost? Because it all starts with that as your foundation. Once you've established that, then who are you discipling? There's built-in discipleship relationships that each one of us have at this point. Like built into our lives already. Parents, you have disciples trapped in your house, your kids. You're raising them. They are your first and foremost disciples. God has given them and blessed you with those children to disciple. Those are your first and foremost easiest things to, to pour into and disciple. Grandparents, you have grandkids. Maybe many of them, many of them. Those are built-in disciple opportunities for you right in your family that don't, doesn't take a whole lot to make happen. Aunts, uncles, you have nieces and nephews. The discipleship is right there inside your house that you can take part of right now, this moment. Neighbors, right next door. People in our small groups, people in our Bible study groups, right there, already plugged in, already relationships established. It's not this scary thing, you have to go out and start a new relationship with somebody or new things with somebody else. It's already there. Many of us, if we just look our, open our eyes and look at where discipleship can take place, it's right there in front of us. Our relational discipleship has to be intentional. It can't be, 
I know I said it mentioned about going golfing or going fishing with somebody. Maybe that's our initial start of how we get the relationship established. But at some point in that relationship, it has to be intentional to share Jesus Christ with them or to sanctify them in the name of the Lord. Whether it's your friend that already knows Jesus and you're just trying to build them up, you, you, you see how they may have some struggles in their life and you're trying to figure out, work with them and how that struggle, you can help them with that through God or through scriptures or through the Holy Spirit, how that might work out. All that has to be intentional at some point. We can't have relationships that don't end in intentionality pointing to Jesus Christ. We must build relationships. As we see in this passage, Jesus built relationships with these guys initially, and we know from Scripture that these relationships with these 12 men that start right here get a heck of a lot deeper. He didn't just leave it on the surface. Hey, come follow me. I got some work for you to do. I need guys to collect food for me. I need people to find houses for me. I need people to find horses and donkeys for me. No, he left it. He got much deeper with them real quick. A relational discipleship to me is like the key in how we share the gospel, but also how we build up the church. Worship team, you guys can make your way on up. So some final thoughts. Where to go and make disciples. That's what Matthew's commission is. In Matthew, that's that's the commission that Jesus gives us. Where to go and make disciples. Not, Not go once in a while. That word go there in the Greek doesn't mean every now and then. It means as you go. As we go. As we go in our daily life, we must make disciples. In everything that we do. That's not a once in a lifetime thing. That's not a once in a year thing. That's not once a week thing. That's as we go, we make disciples. It's church. Believer, our mission is to go make disciples regardless of the cost, regardless of the hardship, regardless of what it's going to hurt us, how it's going to affect us. Jesus has called us to go on a mission for him. He's called us all to collectively as Discovery Church. He's called us as a big C church across the world to go make disciples. That's our task. That's our commission. Let me pray for us. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the, the call that you have on each one of our lives that know you. And the calling on those lives have yet not committed to you. I pray, Lord, that you would draw them to you through your spirit. That they would relinquish whatever is holding them back from accepting you. That, Father, you would be with us as we leave this place is that we would go out and as we go, share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.